Well, today is the day that the federal government is expected to end two years of waiting and reveal who they are going to get to build this long over long overdue heavy icebreaker for the Canadian Coast Guard. Will it be in BC? Will it be in Quebec? And if it's not in BC, is that going to cause a problem in the relationship between the provincial and federal governments? I don't know. Let's talk to Vaughn Palmer about that this morning. Good morning, Vaughn. Eh, good morning, Simi. Edgier seat stuff here because John Horgan really rolled the dice on this one. So the, the, the Polaroid icebreaker was awarded to British Columbia by the Harper government. But when Trudeau became prime minister, the, they clawed it back and said, oh, we're going to have to revisit this whole thing. And this was amid a lot of speculation that they were going to take the contract away from British Columbia permanently and award it to the shipyards in Quebec. So, you know, normally uh, BC premiers roll their eyes and go, yeah, well, what do you expect? But John Horgan didn't do that. He made it an election promise last year uh, that we were going to, have a made-in-B.C. shipbuilding strategy, and a key to it was winning back the Polar 8 icebreaker contract. And he also put that in the uh, agenda, the marching orders, the mandate letter, for Jobs Minister Ravi Kalon. So Horgan really, really pushed this one. It's a test, and it's not just a test, you know, of the Premier's ability. Well, I mean, you, you, he can't keep the election promise without persuading Ottawa to do it, but of Horgan's relationship with the Trudeau government, we've noted a number of times that John Horgan has made a point of holding back on criticizing Ottawa, on vaccine rollout, even on border controls. Once in a while, you know, he'll he'll say, well, you know, I wish Ottawa had done a little more on this, but generally he doesn't criticize the Trudeau government, and generally I gather the consensus at the national level of reporting is that Justin Trudeau's best relationship with a provincial premier is probably with the ND Premier P Premier BC. So today we find out whether that's going to pay off in this big contract being awarded or reawarded to British Columbia. This, if you look at the polls, you would think that there's every reason for BC to get this in terms of reliable seats if there's an upcoming federal election. Yeah, that's true, but um, Quebec, I mean, in the past, I think Trudeau has taken the view that, well, we can take it for granted, British Columbia, because who the hell else are they going to vote for is part of it, I guess. You know, he's done pretty well out here. And I think the other thing is, like, Quebec's expectations is is a tough thing for the Prime Minister to deal with because Quebec is rarely persuaded by the argument that we have to spread this stuff around, you know. Uh, The other thing is um, (laughs) Quebec does have an interesting comeback on this. I've written about this and I've heard from one of the firms that's involved in lobbying for the shipyard in Quebec. And their pushback is, why would the national government award a shipbuilding contract to a yard in British Columbia when the British Columbia government does not use British Columbia yards for building its own ferries? Our ferries, BC ferries, have been built in Poland and Germany and Romania, um, pretty much anywhere but British Columbia for some time. Uh, the NDP says, yeah, well, that was the previous government, but... 
You know, it, it's uh, one hates to admit it, but it's not a bad argument that, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna hand out government largesse for shipbuilding contracts, and we know that's the basis on which we do it. Well, why should Quebec be shortchanged on this contract when, as the Quebecers say, um, you know, our ferries are are being built in Romania? <laughs> Good point. So that's coming later today. We'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, let's also talk about this. Dr. Henry speaking yesterday was a bit unusual, right? Yeah, as an extra response to a, a request uh, led by uh, Richard Zussman, the president of the gallery, doing double duty, saying we've got a lot of questions. And they made Dr. Henry available for a, an online conversation, a lot of questions. Uh, a bunch of stuff in there. You know, she's again trying to reply to NASI's, uh preference on vaccines without criticizing her national colleagues, although it's pretty clear that Dr. Henry is sticking to the view that with limited supplies of vaccine, AstraZeneca is necessary and a good vaccine, and if people are offered it, they ought to take it. So that's, she repeated that. I thought the most interesting thing, though, was a question Zussman asked out of uh, Washington State. So down there, and this isn't the only university that's done this, uh, but the University of Washington is sending the message to students, faculty, and staff that if they're planning to come back on campus when we go back to in-class learning this fall, you're going to have to be vaccinated. So the question to Dr. Henry was, what do you think about that? Should we be doing that here in British Columbia? She repeated what she has been saying all along, and that is that we don't do that in Canada. We don't require people to be vaccinated. Uh, people may be required to be vaccinated to travel internationally. There's not much we can do about that. But we don't say you have to be vaccinated. I just listened to her. And back in my mind, Simi, a voice is saying, is this sustainable? Are, are, yeah. is, is, is British Columbia and Canada going to be able to stick to this uh, her line is, we're going to persuade people, we're going to educate them, we're going to encourage them to get vaccinated. But, you know, uh, Globe and Mail, my colleague Justin Hunt, Justine Hunter had a good story earlier this week on a care home in Abbotsford where, I don't know, what, half dozen staffers who didn't get themselves vaccinated have shown up for work with COVID-19. And, you know, the care home providers are going, can we, and I mean, I would think the people who have aged parents or relatives in the homes are going, can, can we really do this? Yeah. Can we afford? I would say, can, would we do this with TB? No. Would we do it in child care centers with measles, which is incredibly communicable? Uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not saying what we're going to do, but I just wonder if this position is sustainable given what people have put up with and endured and feared and experienced uh, with COVID-19, are we going to be able to... Partly because we don't know yet, and Dr. Henry says this, we don't know what it'll take for herd immunity, right? Americans don't know. We don't know what variants do it. There's so many unknowns here that, I don't know, I think Uh, we may come to a point where employers are allowed, especially in healthcare. Uh, world to say, um, if you're not willing to get vaccinated, you're going to be reassigned. 
I, the thing is, I think it's going to be so normal outside of BC, right? Yeah. I think a lot of other jurisdictions, and so I think a lot of British Columbians, if you travel in the States or anything, you're going to know that this is required. Yeah. So eventually, is it going to just be inevitable that BC residents are going to go, look, we have to do it everywhere else. Why aren't we doing it here at home? I, I think you're right. I've been following it in the United States, and I mean, in some ways, they have a, a, a stronger and more, more robust Bill of Rights than we do, and it's been in place for you know over 200 years. And the preliminary legal decisions down there are: is you can make it a position, a, a condition of employment that you get vaccinated. So, again, I think we'll try to do it in a kinder, gentler way here. And as I said, Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix have both said no; they think compulsory vaccination would backfire. It's much better to try to persuade people. But not knowing what it will take to get to community immunity here and not knowing what it'll take with variants, I just wonder whether even with the best of intentions, this position is sustainable. My expectation is, as you know, that the public is probably going to say, no, nah, not now. We, we, we're just going to have to require it. And if people don't want to get vaccinated, uh, don't come to work. It astounds me, though, that you would have people like working in a long-term care home who didn't think it was urgent to get vaccinated. So I guess what they're hoping is that, I guess, enough people will do this on their own that they don't have to make this call. Yeah, and they have released figures that suggest that the take-up is 90% in in long-term care, but they haven't broken it down to staff and residents. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the signs are all encouraging. We don't have the level of ideological vaccine hesitancy here in Canada that they do in the States. And one reason why government is held back on this is a genuine concern that if you indicate you're going to force people to get vaccinated, you will create a backlash and make a bigger problem than you have right now. So I mean, I understand right. all that. I, I don't suggest what we're going to do, but I just wonder if this position is sustainable, given, as I say, that we don't really know what it will take to produce community immunity here and whether or not um, even, you know, 10%, even 15% refusing to be vaccinated um, is going to be sustainable in the face of containing COVID-19.